0: Welcome, listeners, to a duo of all-time radio episodes straight from the Weird Circle series. Notorious for producing unique, strange, and paranormal-focused stories, these Weird Circle radio episodes are really something else. Your theme today is going to be poison. Poison of the heart, the mind, the soul and the power that this poison has over the human psyche and life itself. Your first tale is The Spectre of Tappi, and your second tale is The Lifted Veil. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something special just like you.
1: Unbelievable.
2: Yes, truth is often incredible. But you must believe. Listen to the weird circle. of the past, phantoms of a world gone by, speak again the immortal tale, The Spectre of Tappington. This house, Tappington Everard, called Tapton for short, is an antiquated but commodious manor house in the English countryside of Kent. It was built by our ancestor, Sir Giles Inglesley who was High Sheriff to Queen Elizabeth. I, myself, am Tom Inglesby, fourteenth heir to this forbidding old house. Set on a grove of tall, dark trees, legends have sprung up about it that add gloom to its sinister reputation. One autumn weekend during the grass season, every guest room in the manor house was occupied. That is, every one except the oak chamber. Little did we know that the unexpected arrival of our distant cousin and good friend, Lieutenant Charles Seaford, Would cause the dark mysteries of that oak room to intrude themselves upon us in such a strange way. A telegram that morning had warned us of his arrival, that he was on leave, invalided home from India. So it was with glad surprise and open arms that I welcomed the young lieutenant to Tapton. Well, Charles, old chap, I say it was good to see you. Hello, Tom, how are you? (laughs) Back from the land of the Rajas, what? Welcome to Tapton. Thanks, Tom. It's good to be back in England and. Best of all, to be here with you and... uh... And uh, (laughs) Carolyn. I know that mine are not the charms that bring you here, but those are my lively, lovely sister. Well, here's your childhood heartthrope, almost falling down the stairs near eagerness to greet you. Charles,
1: Charles, my dear, how wonderful to have you here.
2: Carolyn, you're lovelier than ever. Lovelier than I dreamed. May I kiss you? Of
1: course, Charles. Oh, Charles, it must have been dreadful in India.
2: Well, it... Was a bit of a show for a while. We uh, heard you were on the wounded list. Oh, just a tap on the old bean, a touch of fever, but I'm fit now.
1: You look wonderfully well, Charles. Thinner, perhaps just a bit older.
2: <laughs> a brother of a boy has come back to us a man, Carolyn. And what a man! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Charles dear, we've had to put you in the oak room.
2: Yes, as our housekeeper, Old Bollersby puts it, the house is choked full up. Uh, I hope you don't mind, old boy. Oh, why should I mind? Sounds very important, really. Uh, is it an attic nook? Oh, no, it's the guest chamber, or always was until some rather weird stories Oh, Charles, not to... now. What, Tom?
1: What we mean, Charles, is simply that the oak room is very old. Oh,
2: but I love old rooms and old houses. Oh, what a magnificent hall. This captain of yours is a baronial beauty. A perfect setting for good old Queen Bess. <laughs> I can almost see her ghost moving along up there on the gallery and wafting majestically down the Charles, stairs.
1: Charles, please, what? we don't like to think about ghosts here.
2: Oh? Is tapped haunted.
1: Well, I'm afraid we've had our moment. Now, uh, no, <laughs> as soon as
2: I've shown you off to some of my guests, Charles, Carol and I will conduct you on a special tour of the premises. I'd like that nowhere. Good. Well, come along then into the library. I think you'll remember Jack Overton and Fanny Simpson and many of Charles was fascinated by the old manor. We showed him every nook and cranny from gallery to scullery. Then that evening after a good and jovial dinner, some of us were gathered around the library fire. When the legendary spectre of Captain became the theme of the conversation.
1: Did they show you the bloodstain? Yes,
2: it didn't look like blood to me, Fanny.
1: But it is blood, Charles. Human blood. And for 300 years, no sandstone or soap has budged it.
2: Oh, cheerful little antique. Did you take him into the glen, frowning darkly as of yore? Not
1: yet, Jan. Oh, it's gruesome. Let's go there tomorrow before breakfast. All right. You know, they say the keeper's daughter was seen to enter it. But nothing was ever seen. Oh, oh, stop, Fanny.
2: <laughs> you're breaking my heart. My nerves can't stand it. She never was seen by mortal eyes again. Oh, never. <laughs> Have you uh, like the ancestral portraits? Nightmarish old codgers. Mr. Rogerson, consider. You speak of me ancestor. <laughs> oh, sorry, old fellow, but you must admit Sir Giles is no rose. Yes, I've seen his like in horror films. What's his history, Tom? <laughs> well, dark and dismal tradition has it that his wicked licentiousness was above the average even for those days.
1: What was his special vice? Murder. Oh, how thrilling. Who did he kill? Yes,
2: tell us the story, Carolyn.
1: Shall I, Tom?
2: Go ahead. I'll turn off some of the lights. Tell the gory sis, sis.
1: Scatter. Well, you asked for it, my friend. Here it is. One night long, long ago, a stranger guest came to Tapton. So he and Sir Giles met in apparent friendship... The scowl on the squire's brow showed the visitor to be unwelcome. Nevertheless, the banquet was not spared. The wine circulated freely. Too freely, perhaps, for the servants heard loud and angry quarrelling. The stranger, cold menace in his voice, was heard to say that there were documents within his pocket which could disprove Sir Giles' right to Tapton. Documents that proved his inheritance? Oh, don't interrupt, Jack. Go on, Caroline. Who was the stranger? Rumor was right. It seems the old retainers had heard talk in their youth. But an heir who disappeared in early life had left a son in foreign lands.
2: So... So you and Tom may not be the rightful owners of Tafton after all. Yeah, that's right. Some long-lost cousin from far off lands may come to clean it. Joe, huh? you're our distant cousin, Charles.
1: And from a foreign land.
2: Oh, oh no, I, I assure you, I have no documents in my travels. <laughs> <laughs> but go on, go on with the legend. What happened?
1: The revelers finished their party and sought their beds. The stranger fell into drunken sleep in the oaken chamber. In my
2: room? Your room.
1: (laughs) The next morning he was found, a swollen and blackened corpse. No marks of violence, but his lips were livid, and dark-colored spots appeared on his skin. The word poison was whispered, but no one dared say it aloud.
2: I see. Was it murder?
1: Sir Giles' personal leech pronounced it an apoplexy, and the nameless stranger was buried in haste. Ghastly
2: story, Carolyn.
1: Wait, I haven't told you the most curious part of the legend. Huh? The mysterious disappearance of the stranger's trunk. His trunk? His is stupid. The supposed hiding place of the document. Oh. His clothes were all there. Jerkin, waistcoat, cloak. But no sign of those puffed velvet short pants the Elizabethans wore. They say the evil one was in the oak room
2: that night. And I am to sleep in this self-saved oak and boudoir, Huh. <laughs> How about ghosts? Oh, some miracle mongers have it that the ghost of Sir Giles has been slipping out by the postern gate to the glen, searching and digging and wringing his hands. Did they ever find the britches? Well, years ago, gardeners doing some work in the glen dug up an ancient garment with uh, bits of gold embroidery, and out fell some papers, perfectly illegible from damp and age. Do they really belong to the nameless stranger?
1: Who knows? Perhaps they did. I've just been telling you the legend of Tanner. <laughs>
2: I must say, you've given me a fine build-up for a peaceful night's <laughs> sleep. <laughs> I shan't dare turn out the
1: light
3: in my room.
2: Well, spooks or no spooks, it's early up in the morning, so I'm off to Slumberland. <laughs> Ghostly dreams to you all. Oh, okay, good, good night, Benny. Good, good night. night. <laughs> well, train's cousin from fallen lands, remember the legend. After all, you may be the real owner of the manor. Oh, oh Rot. I, I don't want your old manor, if I can have its lady. Is this a proposal, Charles, dear? What do you think? Uh, I see this is my cue to exit. <laughs> good night, you love, bird. Good night, Tom. And uh, it might be a good idea to knock your door, Charles. Thanks, I will. Never fear. I myself wasted a few moments of healthy sleep, worrying that Carolyn's story had disturbed my guests. But as far as I knew, a peaceful night had blessed old Tappington. And then, the next morning, as I was on my way down to breakfast, I was practically knocked down by our man McGuire bumping into me. Yeah, take it easy, Maguire, oh, I'm sir. sorry, sir. The Senate force wriggled like one beside himself. Well, go ahead and see what he wants. Carry on. Certainly, sir. Uh, sorry, sir. I followed Maguire to the landing and stood watching as he knocked on the door. Come in. Ah, oh, Maguire, at last. Uh, yes, sir. Where are my trousers? Your, uh, your britches, sir? Yes, what have you done with them? Me, sir? Well, I never think, thing, sir. Well, it must have been the devil, then. I put them on that armchair when I got into bed, and by heaven, now they're gone. Uh, Would it be Miss Carolyn or Miss Fanny playing some sort of a joke, sir? Oh, not probable, Maguire. Not possible, in fact, because I locked myself in. Uh, Wait. Is there any other entrance to this room? Well, uh, there is the secret staircase to the postern, sir. Over there. Of course. That's the way they must have come. I'll go and see. See No, no, no chance, Maguire. Two heavy bolts, both fastened on the inside. I must say it's all very strange. Funny, it isn't he, sir. Funny, Maguire? No, not too funny. We had almost finished breakfast when Charles appeared. I noticed he wore immaculately tailored riding breeches, perfect for a day on the saddle, but scarcely the costume for our planned grass shooting. However, I made no comment, as his manner was so strange. He stood on smiling in the doorway at the dining room, staring at the girls. Carolyn seemed annoyed.
1: Come, Charles, the tea is absolutely cold. Your breakfast will be spoiled. Why are you so late? Sorry? What became of our excursion to the glen?
2: Uh, when I was a young man, punctuality was required of all women. When, when you were them. a young man, sir, young ladies didn't play practical jokes.
1: Whatever are you talking about, Charles. Oh,
2: don't mind me, Carolyn. I've just been made a fool of, that's all. Obviously, something was troubling, Charles. Occasionally, he darted a penetrating glance at the girls. However, a glorious day in the field seemed to snap him out of this troubled mood. As a matter of fact, Charles took a leading part in planning the picnic we were to have the next day. There was no talk of ghosts, nor any mention of legends. It had rained during the night and turned much colder. So you will understand the amazement it caused when Charles came down to breakfast next day in his uniform tropical shorts.
1: Charles! You're surely not going to ride through our lanes in such
2: toggery as that. You do surprise us with your costume changes. Well, what the well-dressed men will wear. <laughs> he thinks he's back in the jungle, that's all. Poor lad, he's quite balmy. <laughs> Look here, Uncle I'll thank you to above, Charles. Won't you get very wet
1: after all the rain? You'd better drive in the carriage with me.
2: Thank you, Fanny. I'll ride as planned with my cousins. During this banter, Carolyn said not a word. I could see she was worried sick over Charles. However, the picnic was a great success. I wandered away from my guests because I I wanted to be alone for a while and, and see if I could think out any reason for Charles' eccentric behavior. I was worried frankly worried that maybe his head wound had been more serious than he realized. I must have dozed off, for I was suddenly aware that I was a knees-jumper on my sweet sister Carolyn and her adored Charles. I started to speak, but the tone of their conversation kept me silent. Carolyn, I know you mean these crazy trousers of mine.
1: Well, you must admit they are a bit odd. Why ever did you
2: wear them? I'm not wearing these wretched things because I want to be different. Carolyn, my dear... Something strange is going on in the oak room. Pair by pair, my trousers are being stolen. Oh,
1: Charles, dear, how simply fantastic. For heaven's sake, darling, you must be dreaming. Helen, please
2: listen to me. I'm beside myself. I was not dreaming. The first morning, I thought McGuire had taken my trousers to press them. Then I even thought you girls or Tom were playing some childish joke on me. But night before last, and again last night, I saw the ghost. The ghost?
1: Charles, this is... Too much, sir. Isn't it, ghost?
2: You mean the specter? I mean just that. I saw the specter of Captain, that bluebeard ancestor of yours.
1: Sir Giles? Yes, Sir
2: Giles. <laughs> Walking in my bedroom with his velvet cloak, long rapier, and his Raleigh-looking hat and feather, just like his portrait. But there was one difference.
1: <laughs> what was that?
2: His legs were the legs of a skeleton. Oh, Charles! After taking a turn about the room, seemingly looking for something, he he, he, he took off my britches and whipped his bony legs into them. Then he strutted up to the glass and studied himself. Why didn't you call out? I tried to, but I I couldn't oh, somehow speak. Oh, my poor
1: darling, it was an awful dream. It was no
2: dream, Carolyn. It was definitely th- the ghost. For then he, he turned and showed me the grimmest, most dreadful-looking death's head. It grinned hideously at me and... And then strutted out of the room suddenly.
1: How ghastly. Oh, I blame myself so for telling you that silly legend. It's given you these nightmares.
2: This was no nightmare, Carolyn.
1: But dear, Tatson isn't haunted. You're just remembering that stupid story I told
2: you. You never said one word about Sir Giles' ghost in the oak room. Not one word about his skeleton legs. Not one syllable oh, about it. Oh,
1: darling, his... you're overtired. You're talking rubbish.
2: Carolyn, I expected sympathy and understanding from you. I'm not talking rubbish. I tell you, I saw the ghost. My britches are gone, vanished in thin air. And if the ghost didn't take them, who did? I had never thought seriously there could be a ghost at Captain that legend Carolyn had told our guests that night, had been intended as a joke more than anything else. In fact, since childhood, we have liked to spoof about our family spook. But it was evident that the story of Sir Giles had made a dreadful impression on Charles' mind. His strange costumes had merely amused us. But now, even our guests were beginning to wonder. Next morning, as we were lingering at the breakfast table over that last bit of muffin and jam... Ogleton said... I see. Uh, what makes Charles so touchy? He bolted from the room just now as if the old boy himself were after him.
1: I'm sorry I giggled at him. But, Tom, I couldn't help it. Full dress uniform at breakfast. See, uh,
2: <laughs> is it shell it show-shock Tom? I wish I knew.
1: When I asked him why the fancy dress, he bit my head
2: off. I can still, still hear him saying... It's the regimental dress of the royal Bombay Lancers, Fanny.
1: It was regal. Blue tunic, red striped trousers, and gold braid.
2: <laughs> I haven't seen the like since the coronation.
1: It wasn't funny to Carolyn, though. She was almost in tears when she ran after him. She looked positively stricken.
2: Yes, my poor sister was teary-eyed all that miserable day. As for Charles, though he seemed to be making an effort to be more companionable, it only resulted in his being distantly polite. To add to my own distress in the matter, I learned that Maguire, the valet, had been kicking up quite a bobbley below stairs, boasting that on the evening before he'd seen a ghost. Maguire had overheard some of our conversations, but this cap trap about ghosts had to be stopped. So that night, after our house guests had retired, I rang for Maguire. You rang, sir? Yes. Uh, close the door. Uh, yes, sir. Now see here, Maguire. What's this I hear about your having seen a ghost last night? Divil a lie will I tell you, Your Honor, but last night I saw a ghost. Sir. Oh, what rot. Don't spread such nonsensical stories. Where do you think you saw this thing? Well, sir, we went last night for a bit of a stroll to the Glen. We? Uh, myself and one of the maids, sir. Yes, yes, yes. A... Get on, get on. To see the moon it was, sir. But we saw more than the moon, sir. In the shadows was a terrible ghost. What sort of a ghost, man? A tall gentleman he was, sir. All in white with a shovel on the shoulder of him and a big torch in his fist. But what he wanted to do, that is himself can't tell, for his great eyes were like big lamps. The maid screeched holy murder and ran off with herself, and we after her. And the ghost after you, I suppose. No, sir. The ghost vanished in a flame of fire. Now, Maguire, don't try gig lamps and flames apart on me. You're making all this up. Sure, I believe you're the specter yourself. Me, sir? Is it, Miss Helfand, that a play acting ghost in your honor thinking? What your purpose is, I can't guess. Stealing Lieutenant Seaforth's charges and all I have a soul, sir. I stole nothing. No, but you are mixed up in some way with their disappearance. It is a ghost, sir. I know it is. I saw it. There isn't any ghost, Maguire. And don't go about frightening my guests with any such tale. That's all for now. Yes, sir. Well, good night, sir. I felt a strong compulsion, then, to go to the oak room. I wanted to know if Charles was all right immediately mcguire had gone i left my room hurriedly and ran up the short flight of stairs to the oak room i listened a moment then rapped loudly on c door. charles charles yes who is it it's i tom oh hello come in i i was just about to turn in what's up you all right of course why well carolyn's told me about this ghostly visitor of yours Look here, you haven't seen him tonight, have you? No, no, no. Forget it, Tom. I'll make out. Don't bother about me. Go on to bed. All right. Cheerio, old man. Just wanted to make sure the goblins hadn't got you. Good night. And then, the very next morning as I was shaving, my door was flung open and in burst Charles. Inglesby, this is now past a joke. Where are my trousers? Good grief, Charles. What the idea of yelling at me? You've, you, you've made me cut my chin. Oh, confound your stupid chin. Another pair of trousers are gone again. <laughs> oh, heavens, this is too good. Don't tell me the ghost got the regimentals, too. Laugh, if you will. They're gone. Now, I've looked everywhere. What have you done with my clothes? I? Child, I'm as mystified as you are. In all seriousness, Tom, aren't you putting over one of your famous hoaxes? I swear to you, I've no hand in this skullduggery. Well, then, your ancestor's ghost has, and I've had all I can stand. Now, you'll simply have to lend me a pair of your trousers. Well, take all my trousers. and Get out of here. You're in no mood to talk sense. All right, if you so politely put it, I'll get out. And in your trousers. In spite of the ties that hold me here, I'm leaving, Captain, today. A uh, see uh, wait a moment. Now I was really afraid that Charles' mind was unhinged. I dressed hurriedly and rushed downstairs. Hearing noises in the library, I... I went quietly to the door and...
1: Listened. Darling, please don't leave. For my sake, please.
2: Carol, I... I can't stay, I tell you. As surely as I love you, that spectral anatomy came to my room last night... Grinned in my face and again walked off with my trousers.
1: Obviously, Charles, it's an insane trick.
2: If it is a trick. What do you mean? I've decided it all has to do with the ownership of Tapton. What? Yes. As you and Tom both said, I am your cousin. I have been in foreign lands. But I am not claiming Tapton. One of you is trying by inhuman means to frighten me to death. Poison. Yes, mental poison. But you won't get away with it. You won't.
1: Stop, darling. Stop. How can you believe such things? Oh, Tom, I'm so glad you were listening. Talk to him, please.
2: Charles, Charles, oh man, you're so wrong. Why, you're my oldest friend and Callum loves you. You know that. Now, come on, forget these black thoughts. Go for a walk and, and let the sun and the wind drive this fog from your mind.
1: Please, Charles, don't talk anymore about leaving. Let's fight this thing out together.
2: I... I don't know what's got into me. Very well, Callum. I'll stay. That's fine. Don't worry, Carolyn, dear. I'll try to be a model guest.
1: See you at lunch then, darling. Oh, Tom, isn't it awful? Whatever will we do? I do love him so.
2: I was mad clear through and determined to scotch this ghost business once and for all. I knew that the oak room had a secret cupboard in the paneling, so that night I decided I must hide there and spy on Charles. I slipped away from my guests and, tiptoeing through the dark gloom of the oak room, I, I... groped my way into the closet. Suddenly, my... my hands touched soft, human flesh. <gasps> Good Lord! Carolyn! Tom, you
1: scared me so. Oh.
2: We had the same idea, huh? Yes, to
1: protect Charles.
2: Well, of course. But uh, we may have a long wait, sis.
1: I won't mind. Oh, I'm
2: so scared. Quiet, quiet. Chin up, old girl. Charles got himself ready for bed. Started to take off his trousers, then suddenly put them on again and flung himself into bed. He had left the night lamp on, which was lucky, as thus we could see more easily. After waiting for what seemed ours... Carolyn suddenly touched my arm. Look, he's sitting up. Shall we speak? No. No, not yet. He's turning this way. Good Lord. He's asleep. Yes. His eyes
1: are wide open, but they stare senselessly. Like dead eyes.
2: He's out of bed. Huh? What did you see looking for?
1: He's got a torch. Why, he's looking at himself in the mirror. Time. He's going to the secret staircase. He's opening the door.
2: Come along, we've got to follow him. Not too closely.
1: Hurry, hurry, please.
2: We hurried after him down the stairs and out to the postern gate. We saw him enter the glen, and then as we came closer, there was Charles with a spade digging.
1: Whatever is he doing? Digging a large hole.
2: The earth is soft. He's been digging here before. Look, he's removing his trousers and and bang
1: Tom, I can't stand it. It's too gruesome. Let's call no, out. No, no, no. Wait a minute.
2: These people have to be shocked out of their trance. I'll wake him as he turns towards us.
1: Oh. oh Tom, what have you done? You've killed him!
2: But I hadn't killed him, though I had hit him hard, and then I realized. We called for help and carried him to the great hall. He was still unconscious when Dr. Austin arrived. We waited anxiously during his examination. Finally, the doctor came towards us. Well, Tom, my young lieutenant is coming around nicely. Oh, what a relief.
1: Oh, doctor, is he going to be all right?
2: Of course, my dear. Then it was show shock, doctor? Not exactly. I think that head wound and the fever combined to give his subconscious overactive control of his mind. And when I hit him? Best thing you could have done. You put that subconscious in its place. And I think it's safe to say that he won't sleepwalk anymore. Oh, Look at Charles. Oh. He's sitting up. What? Where? What? Oh, why are you all staring? Why am I here? Oh. oh, my jaw.
1: Don't try to speak, dear. You're all right now.
2: Well, I should say I was. I, I feel as if a load had been lifted from my heart. Oh, oh I remember my trousers. <laughs> yes, Charles, you've been busy burying trousers.
1: In neat layers, riding breeches, shorts, and even those beautiful regimentals.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then I've been haunting myself.
1: Yes, dearest, you are the spectre of Taffy.
2: Oh, my love! Can you ever bring yourself to marry a spectre? Darling. I love ghosts. Oh, I begin to catch on. Wedding bells are in the offing. Yes, and with my blessing. But Charles, if ever again you feel inclined to jump out of bed and ramble out of doors, there's one thing I'd like to suggest. What's that, old boy? I recommend that Carolyn wear the trousers.
0: Before we go on to our next old-time radio episode, can someone explain to me what he meant by having her wear the trousers. I'm sure it's obvious, but it went right over my head.
2: A certain Dr. Minier was working in the experimental laboratory of his office when young Latimer Hemming dropped in to see him. The two friends smiled genially at each other. Then Latimer suddenly started pacing nervously up and down the length of the room. I, I don't know why I came to you, Doctor. You're the last person in the world I'd expect to believe in psychic phenomena. I don't know about, about that. What's bothering you, Latimer? Well, it, it's all so incredible. Frankly, I don't expect you to believe me. Why don't you stop facing the floor? Sit down quietly in the chair and tell me the whole story here. Sit down here. Well, I had a vision. A premonition, a a warning. The veil of the future lifted, and I saw into it. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. No, I'm not insane. There's never been any insanity in my family. Ask my father. He'll tell you that the Hemmings are constitutionally solid as a rock. Yes, yes, I know. Uh, Tell me more about this lifting of the veil, this premonition. Well, the first time it occurred was about three years ago, shortly before Bertha and I were married. The first time, eh, Latimer? Yes, it's Well, it, it's recurrent. It it, it... it comes again and again. Oh. Now, uh, go on. Well, I, I see the face of a woman. She's lying in bed. Her... Her face is a death mask. Mm, you choose nice visions. So now, please don't make fun of me. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, anyway... Suddenly, the woman sits upright in bed. Points an accusing finger at me and says... You killed one man... And you'll kill another. And then, laughing hysterically, she falls back in the bed. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Well, then the vision becomes hazy and disappears. Now, don't tell me I've been working too hard. I've never done an honest day's work in my life. I'd say forget the whole thing. Yes, that's what I was afraid of. I've been trying to dismiss it from my mind, Dr. Munir, but... Well, the other day... The other day, my wife hired a new maid, a person by the name of Archer Bernard. What's so extraordinary about that? She has the exact same face as the face in my vision, a perfect replica. Oh, what'll I do, Doctor? Shall I I tell Bertha? Shall I force her to discharge the maid? You know how practical Bertha is. She'll think I've lost my mind. Yes, she will. I don't know how to advise you, Latimer. But if this Archer girl threatens your peace of mind, there's only one thing to do. You mean dismiss her? Yes. But I wouldn't tell Bertha the real reason. Any excuse will do. Yes, of course. Don't make an issue out of it, Latimer. Women get stubborn at times. That's how well I know that. Uh, Doctor, would you do me a favor? Quite certainly. You're a good friend of Inspector Kane at headquarters. Would you have him do a little checking up on Archer? Yes. Yes, I'll do it. No harm in investigating a woman, I suppose. Stranger visions than this one of yours, my boy, have come to my attention. Well, I'll see you at dinner tonight. At dinner? Yes, your wife invited me. Oh. And frankly, I'm rather curious to see this new maid, Archer Bernard, myself. Oh, well, good night, Doctor, good night. and thanks. Thanks tremendously.
1: Archer? Archer? Yes. Answer the doorbell, will you?
3: Of course. Right away, madam. Good evening, Mr. Henning.
2: Oh, good evening, Archer. I, I'm sorry, I forgot my keys. Is My wife in.
3: In the living room, sir. Oh,
2: thank you. Hello, darling. I'm sorry I'm so late.
3: You are late, Latimer. Shame on you. There'll so be guests for dinner this evening. What kept you so long?
2: I dropped by Dr. Menear's office.
3: Aren't you feeling well?
2: No, not too well.
3: Poor pet.
2: Is my father coming over this evening?
3: Yes, and please be nice to him.
2: I'll be charming to him. That is, if he'll just stop trying to run my entire life for me.
3: You can't really blame him, Latimer, if he's impatient to become a grandfather.
2: I don't mind wishful thinking, but he's pretty insistent on my having a son.
3: Just keep humoring him. After all, he's worked hard all his life and built up a large fortune. He just wants to be sure there'll be heirs to carry on the name.
2: Bertha.
3: Yes? What is it, dear?
2: You know that new maid, Archer?
3: I ought to know. I hired her.
2: Bertha. Bertha, I wish you'd get somebody else in her place. She, She's incompetent.
3: I find her exceedingly
2: capable. But she's impudent.
3: Well, I'll talk to her about it. Please,
2: Bertha, if you don't mind. I just as leave you not <laughs>
3: Darling, if you had any idea how much trouble I've gone to to... Get well, any kind of help at all out of here. You'd realize what a perfect gem Archer is. You concentrate on your father and let me worry about the servants, Pep. Yes, but uh, I won't hear another word about it, Lassie. Now go upstairs and get dressed. Your father and the doctor will be here within the hour, and if you're not prompt, your father will take out his temper on me. So hurry, dear, please.
2: I won't be long.
1: Hurry, dear. You always go so
2: long. I'll hurry. I wonder, perhaps if I told Bertha the truth, maybe it's all in my mind anyway, but the vision, the premonition, so recurrent. I might try talking to the girl myself. Oh, no, that wouldn't be right. Oh! Oh! What are you doing in this room, Archer?
1: I, uh, well, I...
3: Well, you what? I was just straightening up a bit. I thought
2: you straightened my room this morning. It needed straightening again. Oh, did it indeed. I found it quite in order after you were through the first time. What's this?
3: That, sir? This package. Oh, give it to me, sir. I, I almost forgot it. Oh, no, no, no. Don't unwrap it. Please. Why? Well, I, I... Poison. Yes. Rat poison. What for? Rats in the basement. Your wife asked me to get it. She did.
2: Well, this isn't the basement, Arch.
3: I know, sir. I... I'm sorry, sir. I, I...
2: take I that I... rat poison and stay out of my room. Yes,
3: sir. Sorry, sir.
2: I wonder. I wonder. Archer Bernard, the face in my dream. My evil genius. I'm sorry I'm late, Father. Awfully sorry.
3: I warned him not to be late, Dad.
2: Latimer has never been on time for anything in his life. I speak with authority. I'm sorry, Father. I'm sorry. Uh, Hello, Doctor. Your wife has been entertaining us very well in your absence, Latimer.
3: Do you think so, Doctor?
2: I'm sure of it, my dear. You've more charm than the law allows, anyway.
3: (laughs) You are nice, Doctor. Sometimes, though, I think you're afraid of me.
2: What's this? What's this, doctor? Afraid of my daughter-in-law? Nonsense. Complete nonsense. But it was only joking Joking? Her. Why? What was funny about it? I'm sorry if I don't see the point. We Hemmings have always had a very highly developed sense of humor. Constitutionally speaking, anyway. <laughs> what? I don't ha- hardly hear you.
1: Dinner is served, Mrs.
3: Hemming. Thank you, Archer. Well, come along, all of you. I think we need a new topic of conversation. Yes, Uh
2: obviously, Bertha. Go ahead, Father.
3: You sit next to me, Dad. Doctor, over here. Thank you. And you're at the foot of the table, Latimer.
2: Such as ever, the husband's lot. What? What?
3: Uh, Do you know, Dr. Manier? we've been hearing a lot about you lately in the village.
2: Ah, that's why I've been invited over this evening. Your feminine curiosity has been aroused, eh?
3: (laughs) Frankly, yes. (laughs)
2: About what, Doctor. About what? Mrs. Hemming is curious, I think, about the experiments I've been performing. What experiments are those? Well, I've been experimenting with a new serum. I have the typical doctor's age-old hope of bringing the dead back to life. Oh, is that why your office is so littered with mice and rabbits? Yes, quite.
3: Have you succeeded?
2: No, not completely. But I've had some interesting results. If I inject my serum into the veins of a dead animal, I... Well... I can bring back a heartbeat for a period of ten seconds or so, at least under certain conditions.
3: Oh, it, it sounds barbaric. What are the conditions?
2: If the animal has died of poison.
3: Uh, I don't think this is dinner conversation. I
2: think it's fascinating, but... You would, dear. I don't believe it.
3: Uh, Mr. Hemming will carve the roast, Archer. Uh, yes, ma'am.
2: Doctor, what is the procedure you usually go through in this experiment? I, um, well, usually I feed the animal, preferably a white rat, regular rat poison. It works very fast and painlessly. I disguise the poison in milk which I feed my victim.
3: Archer, really? I'm sorry, ma'am, awfully sorry. I I didn't mean to drop the plate. Uh, uh,
2: Go on with your theory, doctor. Um, then I use the serum. I, I, I wait approximately one half hour. Then I go ahead.
3: How do you inject the serum, Doctor?
2: Are you really interested, Bertha? Yes, very. By hypodermic. I have one in my medical bag in case you'd like to see it. Don't bother. Don't, don't bother. I don't believe you can bring a dead man back to life by injection. I don't believe it.
3: <laughs> There's no convincing father, Doctor. You might as well give up. <laughs>
2: uh, talking of poison reminds me. I didn't know we you had any rats in the cellar, Bertha.
3: What are you talking about, Latimer?
2: Well, Archer told me the house was infested. You ordered her to buy rat poison this afternoon.
3: Nonsense, Latimer. Will you care for gravy on your meat, Doctor?
2: No, thanks. Just as is. None for me, either. I'm a man who doesn't believe in gravies. Never have. Never have.
3: I know you will, Latimer. Archer. Yes, ma'am? The gravy for Mr. Hemming. Yes,
2: ma'am. Am Am I the only gravy eater in the house?
3: (laughs) Obviously, darling. And I had Archer prepare a special gravy for you. It's very good for you. Latimer loves cream gravy, Doctor. He'd like a child about them. Here you are, sir. Oh,
2: thank you, Archer. Cream gravy. Mm. Be careful not to get any rat poison in that, Latimer. Or you might be my first human experiment. And I'm looking for one. Well, I hope I don't fit the qualifications, Doctor. I shouldn't enjoy the prospect of being a corpse. It's been a very enjoyable evening. A very enjoyable evening. Nothing I enjoy so much as discussing life. Yes, discussing life.
3: You must drop over soon again, Father. Vladimir? I wonder where he's gone. Probably to the kitchen. He raids iceboxes at midnight. I'll get him, Bertha. Never mind. He'll come out eventually. If Dad doesn't mind waiting.
2: No, I'll go get him. I don't see how you put up with him at times, Bertha. A lovely girl like yourself must have a lot of patience to stand for my son's nonsense. He's my husband. Boy, you scared me for a minute, Doctor. Did I, Latimer? Your family is asking for you. What are you doing? I'm collecting some of this cream gravy for you in this little bottle. Would would you test it at the laboratory? It tasted funny to me, and I've been feeling slightly ill. Come, come. Don't be a slave of your imagination. Will you examine this gravy anyway tonight, please? Of course, my boy, of course. If you don't feel well later on, I'll give you a pill to take, just in case. I hope I have some with me. Yes, I hope you do, too. Oh, yes, here they are. Right in my right-hand pocket. (sighs) You're a walking hospital. I always carry three things with me. My hypodermic with serum in case somebody should die of poison. My pills for emergencies such as this. And a good pouch of tobacco. (laughs) I never like anybody else's. Oh, thank you, Doctor. I'll drop by in the morning and you can give me the report on this gravy. Do that, Latimer. Yes, indeed. Do that. I'd better put the bottle in my pocket so no one sees it. Oh, come along. Let's go back to the living All right.
3: Well, Doctor, did you finally dig Latimer out of the kitchen?
2: Yes, indeed. Well, I must be going, Latimer. Good night, Father. Come again soon. I will. I will. And I hope the next time I come, you two will have joyous news for me. Yes, father. I'll walk you home, Mr. Hemming. Fine, Doctor. Good night, Latimer. Good night, my dear. Good
3: night, Father.
2: I'll uh, see you in the morning, Latimer, eh? Yes,
3: Doctor, in the morning. Well, it's been a long evening and a very dull one.
2: Yes, very dull. I'm tired. So am I. Uh, Bertha, about Archer.
3: Latimer, are you going to start that again?
2: Yes. She lied to me about the rat poison, and frankly, I don't trust the girl. It's
3: just your imagination. I'll talk to her in the morning. I wouldn't worry if I were you. If I don't get a satisfactory explanation, I promise I'll discharge her immediately. Yes,
2: I wish you would, dear. I'd feel much better about the whole thing if you would. Very much better. I'm very tired, Bertha. I'm going upstairs to bed. Ah, good morning, Latimer. Good morning. You keep your word, don't you? Up at the very break of dawn. I didn't sleep very well last night, Doctor. I don't wonder. Come in, come in. You see, as soon as my wife and I were upstairs, I had a recurrence of the premonition. You did? Yes. Hmm. That's very strange. Why? Sit down, Latimer, and I'll show you why. Sit down over here near these two test tubes. Over here? Yes, that's right. Now, look. Here are two test tubes with colorless liquid inside. Yes? In this little box next to the first test tube is some rat poison. Now, as I drop some into the first test tube, what happens? The liquid is turning red. Very good so far. Now, in this jar is the cream gravy you were served last night. As I drop some into this tube, what happens? It turns pink, which means only one thing. That a small amount of rat poison is present in the gravy. Small amount? Just enough to make you ill, not to kill you. It's a cute little trick. Progressive illness. Nobody would ever suspect poison in that case. It would take about seven months before you die. Nice girl, Archer, huh? Yes, very nice. But why has this been tried? That's what interests me. Why? Doctor, I haven't the faintest idea. Uh, what did you, you find out about Archer Bernard? Well, I asked Inspector Kane, and he suggested I drop in this morning. Could you go over with me right away? Yes, of course. He has all the information we'll want. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Come in, come in, come in. Good morning, Inspector Kane. Morning. This is Latimer Hemming, the gentleman I told you about. Yes, yes, yes. How do you do? How do you do? Sit down, gentlemen. I understand you've inquired about a certain Archer Bernard. Yes, I did. What do you know about her? We ask you first. Well, we've already made quite a thorough investigation of the lady in question. Yes? Her name is not Archer Bernard, but Doreen Macefield. Macefield? Why, but that's my wife's maiden name. Doreen Macefield? Why, Why, this Archer woman must be my wife's sister, yes. She's her sister. Dr. Bertha once told me about her sister. Yes, Doreen Macefield was arrested five years ago for petty theft. She was released from prison only a few months back. Well, why are you looking for her now? Because at that time she was also suspected of murder. Poisoning? Exactly. The victim was a man, was a friend of your wife. Well, what happened, Inspector? The evidence was insufficient to indict her at the time, but conclusive proof fell into our hands quite by accident the other day. Your call was coincidental. We were about to go to your house to pick her up. Well, why don't you come along with us, Inspector? Yes. My carriage is waiting outside. Splendid is splendid. Poor Bertha, spending her lifetime trying to protect her sister just because she loves her. Why didn't she confide in me? When we see Bertha and her sister together, we'll have the answer to many things. Latimer. Hello, I... darling. Are you all right?
3: Of course I'm all right.
2: This is Inspector Kane, Mrs. Hemming. How do you do?
3: What's this all about?
2: Uh, come in, Inspector. Thank you. Latimer. It... Darling, it's, it's about Archer.
3: Archer? Just what is
2: it? Bertha, I know the truth about Archer. Uh, Why didn't you tell me?
3: Latimer, Archer is my problem. I didn't want
2: to burden you. Now, Mrs. Ebbing, don't you worry. Just call in your sister, please.
3: I can't, Inspector.
2: I can't. The Inspector's not going to hurt her, dear. He just wants to talk to her. There's nothing for you to be afraid of. Latimer! You've protected your sister all your life, brother, you poor darling. Go ahead, Mrs. Hemming. Call her. Archer!
1: Archer!
2: Look, Doctor, look! Her face is bloodless. It's ghastly, like the face I see in my vision. The... Archer! He's sick, quickly. Who wants to on the plane? Help me, Inspector. Oh. Come gone.
3: Oh, I never. I never wanted I Oh oh Archer. Oh, doctor.
2: Doctor, save, save.
3: Oh, Archer. Oh, Judy. Oh, oh Dorie, my darling, sister. Dorothy speak to me.
2: It's no use, Bertha. Archer committed suicide. She's
3: Dead. Oh no. No.
2: Inspector, help me carry her into her room. I want to examine the body. Oh, <laughs>
1: sister. I'm nothing. I loved her, Latimer. No matter what she did, I
2: loved her. Of course you did, Bertha. Of course you did. Take your feet very gently, Inspector. Uh, Which way is her room, Mrs. (laughs) Hemming? Ready, Doctor?
1: I'll come along. No, no,
2: Mrs. Hemming. No, Bertha. Why don't you go to your room and rest? We need to you. But I... Please, please, do as I say. I'm still your doctor, remember.
1: All
2: right. Latimer, as soon as you can, join me in our room. Yes, Doctor, as soon as possible.
1: Oh, Latimer... Will you forgive
2: me? Forgive you, Bertha. There's nothing to forgive. You're a very honest, faithful person. Mark, come along, darling. Lie down and rest. This has all been such a frightful shock to you.
3: Oh, dear Adam, so understand So understand
2: My wife is resting now, Doctor. Good. And you can give us some help here. The half hour is almost over. You mean that? Archer died of rat poisoning. I feel that this first human experiment will be a definite benefit to the future of science. Yes, but this is not a scientific laboratory, Doctor. No, I realize that. But this opportunity comes once in a lifetime. The doctor is quite right, Mr. Hemming. Give him permission to go ahead. If my wife ever found out, she'd die of horror. There's no need for her ever to know. The half hour is drawing to a Close, Latimer. Have I your permission? I should say, has science your permission? Yes, of course, Doctor. Go ahead. Inspector, help me roll up the slate. Certainly. Now, what are you going to do? It's a good thing I always carry this with me. Well, first I draw some of my own blood. Uh, this way. Doctor, it's not as painful as it looks. Now, I mix my blood with a serum. Like this. Hmm. Fascinating, Doctor. How much longer have we got till the half hour is completed, Inspector? Three more seconds. Oh. Hmm. All right, Doctor. Now, I inject the serum into her arm. Like this. What are you doing, Doctor? Bertha, stay out of this room.
1: Don't you dare experiment
3: on my
2: sister. Don't you dare. Hold her back, Inspector. Easy, my dear. Easy. <sighs> hey, look. Look, she's beginning to breathe again. It works. Oh, no.
3: No. Oh, no. Bertha. Bertha, I hate you. No, Sister, no. I went to jail for you five years ago because I loved you. Oh, no. And you her. No, Oh, no,
1: Dad.
3: It was I that took the blame for everything you did. No, sister, no. Admit it, Martha. Admit you killed one man. And you wanted to kill another because you hated him. Claims you wanted to kill you, Latimer, rather than have a child. Kill you, yes. Yes, and get your father's money. I was going to tell you,
2: but, but she she poisoned me first. Oh, oh. oh. Archer. Archer. Oh, I can sustain her life no longer, Archer. Archer. Oh, I. I'm, I'm sorry. Archer Bernard is is dead. Eli. 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 I
1: will try
2: to leave the room, Mrs. Hemming. You'll be wanted at headquarters. It's oh, not true, Inspector. It's not true. I'm afraid it is, Latimer. When the dead return to life, they have too short a time to lie. Perfect. I'm sorry to have to tell you, Mr. Hemming that we have suspected your wife for a long time. We could have proved her guilt without a voice from the grave. Come along, Mrs. Hemming. Bertha. (laughs) Doctor. The veil. The lifted veil. The premonitions come true. From the time-worn pages of the past, We have brought you the immortal tale, The Lifted Veil. Bellkeeper, toll the bell.
0: The Veil certainly was an interesting old-time story with the twist. Poisoning the dead brings them back to life, albeit for a short time. Enough to solve a murder, so it seems. The touch of detail regarding law enforcement already having enough evidence to put his wife away is a nice nod to the fact that, even without the dead's voice, the narrative didn't solely rely on her testimony. Yet her sister was the final nail in that coffin, sealing her fate. And the spectre of Tappy was both strange and funny in parts. The times where he loses his trousers and the initial ridicule he receives from his pals was genuine and enjoyable. Especially the old dialect and language used. And the part where he chooses to keep his trousers on this time, just before going to bed, instead of having them stolen by the ghost. Well, perceived ghost. It's these little things that have the listeners really enjoying the characters. The weird circle radio dramas really know how to write their characters, and the little nuances of their behaviour really bring them to life, more so than most old-time radio dramas, and that is something I appreciate. Well mates, a big thank you for listening, a special thank you to my white tea warlord Matthew J. Bauer, and this Friday I do have something very different, just for your ears, listeners. And I hope you enjoy the surprise. So thank you for being awesome. Spread the word of this podcast to those that you love. And as always, till next, we meet.